Um, I tweeted before I came out tonight that uh, I was going to be a little controversial tonight, and then I said, no, actually, I'm going to be a lot controversial. Um, I, I don't seem to be able to stay out of trouble. I sometimes think, wouldn't it be nice to just be nice and preach nice and sing nice and just be nice and, like... You know, I tell him we had a great leaders meeting on Thursday with the guys, and they said, "What, what, how, you know, what should we decide?" I said, "I said four things: love me, love God, come to church, pay your tithe, jobs are good." Uh, but that doesn't seem to work, so I'm messing, I'm messing again. It. it um, another thing I want to say just before I start, I, I cannot. I'm not a great pastor because actually I'm, a, I'm um, a, an introvert and um, my, what's the type of person I am, an introvert is, uh, not, I'm detached. I have a, I have a detached personality, uh, which means that I, I thrive more aloneness than I do in people, so actually being around people creates crazy, and you think this is this is nuts. I ought to just quit now while I'm ahead. Uh, being around people, being a being a senior leader, being a pastor, um, I actually am drained by being around people. Being around people drains me, it invigorates others. So I think, isn't it just weird that God would get a nutcase like me, who's drained by being around people, who's a introvert, who's Childhood was troubled with shyness to, uh, to do what I do and then get myself into trouble all the time. Um, but that means we have to rely on God, we have to trust God. And uh, it sometimes has been a battle, it's sometimes been a very difficult battle because um, uh, sadly if you're not mainstream, rumours abound and people say things and think things and feel things and believe things that are not true. And like Chinese whispers and rumours, they get bigger and bigger um, you know, so things like um, the rock no longer believes in salvation are the kind of things I then have to deal with that I find people are not talking to me. And when I find out why, it's because we don't believe in salvation anymore. So, of course, my, my report to that is we never stop believing in salvation. People struggle with us not because we don't believe in salvation, because of the extent to which we believe in salvation. Just gets too much for some. So we're at it again tonight. I talked to you a couple of weeks ago. Um, on the subject of what is that first one? Um, is the Bible real and for real? Is it the Word of God or a construct of man? And um, that's why I say we're you know it gets controversial because people don't like you to deal with this stuff because I uh, I'm going to propose some thoughts and questions now. Um, let me say up front I love the Bible. I absolutely love it. Um, I believe the Bible. I believe that it is the word of God to humanity. I love God. I love Jesus. I believe that Jesus is the way to the Father. Um, I believe that the grace that we receive comes because of the, because of the incarnate Christ who, who came to our world. So I'm, I'm not that strange. It's just how I see that and express that gets a little strange for some, because it's, it's not a mainstream view. So I want, I want to say that up front. Now, when you start to talk about the Bible, people wrestle with terms like inerrant, um, you know, and um, uh, what's the other one? Infallible. 
Um, I don't even want to deal with those at the moment because as I said to you two weeks ago, please don't, don't go where I haven't gone or say what I haven't said or take what I have said and make it say something else, which is, which is also even more of a, um, a struggle because we're taking this little by little and um, you know, we'll get there with one or two things um, and it's going to be okay. Okay. So what I wanted to do tonight is just add one more layer onto what we talked about two weeks ago. But I also felt very, very strongly that I needed to recap on what we talked about two weeks ago. Now, um, well, I just feel we've got to. You know, how, how many times have you gone back and read something again? Because you need to, or, or how many times do you... you back up the DVD or the TV because I need to watch that again because I didn't catch that. We do it all the time, but sometimes for, for preachers, sadly, if, if you talk about the same things, you know, we heard that last time. In that voice. Now, time's, time's at a bit of a premium tonight, so um, my recap's going to be, I'm going to say some things that I said two weeks ago because I think you need to hear them again. Uh, and some of the things I have, I have reshaped and re-emphasized, okay? So, so let, let me say some things. I'll read you this first. The Bible, read from a certain perspective, seems to show us glimpses of a monstrous, genocidal, maniacal God, hell-bent on proving a point by eliminating all who get in the way of his purpose which seems to be ensuring that one ethnic group of people gain unchallenged rule over the whole of humanity and that he is recognized as the sole ruling authority of the universe. Now, I appreciate I'm oversimplifying some things, but we, we need to pinpoint it so we can look at it. Then along comes Jesus, who seems to present a kinder face of God, Almost like a divine PR campaign to readjust and popularize the image of the Most High to a wider audience who are just not buying the story to this point and need to be brought into line through a clever intervention, the Incarnation and the Cross. The story then looks kinder and nicer though not having changed in its essence. Now, rather than destroying whole communities of Canaanites with the sword, men, women, and children, we have eternal conscious torment in a place called hell for all those who are detractors from what some deem to be the only specific prescribed way of being counted in. Sadly, those who suffered the fate of being annihilated for being in the way of the forward progression of God in the earth, according to this version of the story, those men, women, and children slaughtered by the sword also get to experience eternal hell. How is that just? But God is love, we boldly declare. God is kind. God is merciful. And his loving kindness is without measure. Something sound a little bit off here. Or is it just me and the atheists? Or has there been a distortion in our understanding created through viewing the whole story as it is written through a wrong perspective? Has this most beautiful of stories been hijacked because we too think like many of the writers also probably thought? 
And in terms of the writers, how much did dreams of empire and expansionism by a small, relatively insignificant group of people affect the author's view of the events that they were recording? Now, for some of you, um, and some of you, you know, listening to the podcast and watching online, I'm like, ooh, you know, you're going where demons fear to tread. Don't, don't mess with this, but... But you see, we've got to wrestle with this. Because we might be in our cosseted version of the lovely Bible stories, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, you know, hugging the lambs and kissing the children. But that's not what people who want to talk about the Bible have in mind to talk about. They want to know why there's a verse in the Psalms that says, blessed is he who dashes the little children against a stone. I want to know what your explanation is for that. And I should have an explanation for that. I should ask that question. Because I can't have gentle Jesus, meek and mild, but a God who bashes children's heads against stone, or who indiscriminately says, just wipe out the whole lot of them. Because they're in the way. What happened when the Israelite, and incidentally, neither am I anti-Semitic. So don't start that nonsense that, oh, he's just anti-Semitic. They happened to be the people who carried the story. So we've got to... But when they left their, their captivity in Egypt and went into Canaan, they either had to destroy the inhabitants of the land or make them their slaves. Because God told them to. Now, at one time I would have said, well, if God told them to do that, well, jolly good, because God told them to do that. I, I have questions about that now because... And know how we write things up. You know, we talk about just wars. And God will bless the nation for freeing that nation from this so we can kill. And throughout history, that same story has continued. The way we have written history has reflected our own personal viewpoint about the situation we're in. Now, that does not diminish the authority or the blessedness of the Bible that we call Holy Scripture. Okay? At all. It just introduces us to the fact that maybe humanity got its fingers in the pie a little bit more than we would like to suggest. But throughout life, I've met some wonderful people who I would call men of God who've still got their fingers in the pie. I've had my fingers in the pie. You can't trust everything I tell you. Hopefully you can trust most of it. But I'm on a journey as well. And things come through the filter of my own life and my own experience. And, and sometimes it reflects more of my experience with that journey than a general experience with the journey. So I do not struggle with the Bible. I struggle sometimes with our concepts of the Bible. And I struggle with the fact that we don't get proper answers to proper questions that say, now, is this really the Abba of Jesus that we're talking about who suddenly has gone from saying, wipe out every last inhabitant, men, women, and children, and kill the animals as well, to this God who's all merciful and saves all who come to him? What was the only way method in one part of the Old Testament that if you'll be a slave of the Israelites, we'll sort of look after you. And then, like I said to you, the idea that those who already suffered that kind of genocide then also have to spend eternity in hell. Do you see, see what I'm saying? These guys, 
These are not questions we can avoid. And, and if you're not church, these are not questions that we want to avoid. How much do those things sometimes affect our own interpretation of the story? So, so sometimes when it says in the Bible, and the Lord said, remember somebody wrote and the Lord said. See, as a, as a pastor of many years, I've been 35 years in, in ministry. Um, and the number of times people have said, the Lord's told me. Uh, and sometimes things like, funnily enough, it's always, you know, uh, the Lord's told me to leave. Really? So you didn't have anything to do with that. You know, the Lord's me to do this. And, and I've done it myself. I, I've done it to qualify and verify sometimes the decisions that I have made to feel if I can say the Lord told me, then that justifies it. Well, sometimes I think the Lord did tell me, but other times I think Anth decided the Lord had told him because Anth wanted it to come over that way. Now, you'll notice I've done that less and less and less over the years, probably too, too little, it's one of the reasons I've shied some away from prophecy and I, don't, I still don't know quite what to do with all that and I'm hoping to relearn what to do with all that because, because I don't want there to be a superficial, unauthentic arrogance that attaches the name of God to what it is that we want to say or, or do. Now, I'm very grateful that many of the things that I've sought to say that I think came from God have actually come very much true and that I'm grateful of. But do you see the point that I'm making here? So we've begun to look at Genesis in um, the other week and, and now this week um, through the adjusted lens of the possibility that there is some truth no matter how broad and debatable to the things that we have just said. Now again, I don't want to say too much more about that aspect of Bible. We will, we will touch on this more as we go along. But um, what I wanted to say is if we're going to re-look at... at the Bible, and if we are going to assess the lens through which we read it, then to me it makes a lot of sense to go back to the beginning and say, how, how does the beginning of the book set this up? How, how does it, what is it trying to imply to us? What, what, is, what, is, what is the tone and the, the texture of that that we are being told, and, and how should we interpret and understand um, the scripture? Now, I'm also a little shy of, how many of you know what allegory is? Allegory is like something that didn't really happen, but is something to illustrate something else, okay? So it's like a, it's like a picture of something. Um, and I think the Bible has a lot of allegorical talk in it. it it's not actually specifically about what it's about. It's about something else. Now, of course, your problem when you get into that is you can then get into deciding that the bits that you want to be allegorical are allegorical and the bits you don't want to be are not. And it's like a lot of people I've read have no clear rules for that. It's just like you can tell, I want that to be allegorical because I don't like it and I'd like this to be real because I do. Uh, and we're all guilty of that. So, but we're not going to be afraid, are we? To look at this. So, so what I said was we should, we should really go back to the book of Genesis and begin to see what, what, what the Bible is trying to lay out as a foundation and a model and a pattern for understanding. So I challenged a couple of things. Because if Genesis 
is the Bible's attempt at a scientific explanation of the universe, there are some very obvious sticking points within its narrative. Like it or not, there just are. I mean, I only mentioned one before, and I'll just mention one again today. Now, of course, you get into the whole thing, well, don't you believe God created? Yes, I, I do believe in a creator. Uh, to me, to suggest that the universe and everything in it has an uncaused cause and that that's scientific is nonsense because it's not science. Science can't, for any creation theory other than a creator to work, you have to be given one miracle in the beginning. But where did the miracle come from? How did the environment exist for that to happen? So you're always having to go back another step. You can't just say, I believe in the Big Bang, because you'd have to say, but why was there a Big Bang, and what constituted the Big Bang, and where did the stuff that made the Big Bang come from, and how come all the millions of things that would have to align perfectly that we understand more and more through science and biology to make the world become what it is, how come... You know, that would be like not just winning the lottery, but be like winning the lottery every week for the next million years, which you think, that just isn't going to happen. And it isn't going to happen. So I am, I am a creationist, right? I'm also, to some degree, an evolutionist, but I don't believe in the crossover of species. But I believe sometimes things get a push and then they evolve from there. They develop, they, they grow, they... Now, so... Don't say, oh, Anthem believing creation, I was an evolutionist. No, I believe in some forms of evolution within creation, but I believe that God is the creator. I cannot explain the beginning sufficiently without the divine. So that, that's where I stand on that position. So, but the problem is then what we tend to want to do, or what Christians tend to want to do, is make Genesis and Genesis 1 a scientific explanation of the universe. And it just isn't. It just... Now, do I believe that within Genesis 1 there are declarations of broadly what happened? Uh, yes, I do. Um, but is that what Genesis 1 is about, is my question. Did this set out in Genesis chapter 1 to give all of us enough scientific evidence about exactly how creation happened and on what days and how? Or, or, or actually, is it something else? So is, is Genesis actually the Bible's attempt at a scientific explanation of the universe? Or is it something else? Is it something deeper? Is it something of greater significance? Is it attempting, attempting to explain how in the context of science or why in the context of humanity? I believe the Bible is a book of whys, not hows. The truth is actually the Christian gospel has been turned into a series of, of, of hows, how to, rather than why. Okay? Love takes you to the why. Law takes you to the what. So, we had a little look two weeks ago at the beginning of Genesis and, and just looked at a couple of things. In the beginning, that's how Genesis starts. In the beginning. In the beginning. See, the truth is that, that, that it's the Bible's pitch. That's where it all 
starts. It, it, it's a book of beginnings. It's about beginnings. It's supposed to be about beginnings and not endings. It's about in the beginning. So as you begin to look at the Bible all the time, you keep seeing beginnings are recurring. See, some of you think it was the biggest disaster in the world when Adam left the garden, but actually Adam leaving the garden was a beginning. Say, yeah, but it was an ending. Yeah, but it's not the ending that we follow. It's the beginning that we follow. And we pick up the story because it's got a new beginning. And let's take the nation of Israel when they were 430 years as slaves in Egypt. And then they get a deliverance. And what happens after 430 years, we get this amazing beginning. Okay? And so it goes on through through the whole of the Bible. Abraham given back his son a beginning. And of course, the most wonderful of all, Jesus rose from the dead. The resurrection is all about beginnings, right? Jesus was crucified, but he rose again. It's about beginnings. So, so the, the tone, the, the essence of the song of Scripture is, guys, this is all about beginnings, it's about beginnings out of nothing. It's about beginnings out of endings. But, but according to Genesis, everything comes to a beginning because on each of the creation days that are mentioned, which I don't give a flip whether it's 24 hours, 24,000 years, I have not the slightest interest whatsoever. I'm more interested in what does this mean? Well, here's what it means. Read all the days of creation and the evening and the morning were the first day. And the evening and the morning were the second day. What's that is that we're always coming to beginnings. We're always coming to beginnings. Now, of course, when we get distorted, which is why I say that happens in how we interpret the Bible, we go from morning to night. We think it all starts in the morning and tails off from there. Because we get more tired, and we get more weary, and it gets dark, and most people fears come when the night comes, not when the day comes, and then we're hoping to get out of that because our whole way of living life has become contrary to the beauty of Genesis chapter 1, which is it's evening to morning. So there are these prophecies in the Bible that say things like, tears may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. We put, off the, 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 we put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. It's always beginning. So, so the gospel is a gospel of hope. And when it begins to be expressed, even probably the most used part of the whole of Scripture in the context of whether you call it salvation, becoming a Christian, conversion. Lots of different terminologies is John chapter 3. And that's all based around Jesus saying to an old guy, you must be born again. Unless your man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And his answer was, but how can I being old be born again? Do I have to go back in my mother's womb? He couldn't get his head around the distorted understanding that says, no, it goes from youth to old, it goes from start to end, it goes from life to death. He couldn't get his head around the fact that the whole tenure of Scripture, no, it goes from death to life. We go from old to young, we go from sick to well, we go from poor to blessed. It's the other way around, Okay? So, so the whole emphasis that comes in is the, 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 the first 
three words of Genesis are the whole tone for understanding scripture. If your scripture is not about beginnings, but it's all consumed with endings, killings and slaughterings and eternal hells and condemnations and judgment, you got the wrong story. Or as we say, you got the wrong end of the stick. Okay? So, so as we go through that whole thought, it, we, we then... It, one of the problems that I mentioned, I need to mention this again, because if this, is a, if this is a scientific thesis on the creation of the world, we have a big problem, even just with one thing. The very first thing that happens is in the beginning God created the heavens and earth, and it says, and God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw the light was good, and separated the light from the darkness, and called the light day and the darkness night. That's day one. But then you get to day four and it says, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. Well, what was day one then? And let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years and let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day, the lesser night to govern the night, and also made the stars and God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and morning the fourth day. So when did it light come and when was day and night separate the first day or the fourth day? See, if you look at this through the long wrong lens, you'll never understand it. They are two different types of light. And the light that came on the first day was a very different type of light than the one that came on the fourth day. It seems as a kind of light to light our world which is not dependent upon external factors or the day of the week or the season of the year. That's what day one is about. Listen, you can live in day four, in seasons. You can be subject to times. You know, the week can dictate your existence. Your age can determine your strength if you want, if you want to live in that. That's what day four is about, marking seasons and times. But you see, if you live in day one, you're living in a time where your life and your world is not dependent upon external factors. There's light without the sun. There's day without all the factors that we need because it, it's a supernatural thing. I call it revelation rather than illumination. Too many of us are trying to live life by illumination. If I learn enough, gather enough, do enough, it'll be okay. You need to start living your life by revelation. That's something that happens on the inside. Is it any surprise that the Bible says Jesus is the one who is the light of the world. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I light up every man who comes into the world. In other words, the Genesis miracle is available for you if you want to live in the Genesis miracle. But if you want to reinterpret it through a different lens, then you'll have to live according to the rules of that different lens, which most of us tend to do. So the tone, the direction of thought, the indicators, the intent... For the whole of scripture established in this amazing narrative in the beginning. That's the pitch. It's about beginnings. Lots of them over and over again. Not one beginning but a perpetual cycle of beginnings. It's not a book drawing attention to how it all ends and where and how it, but where and how it all begins. For who and for how long. And even when the endings seem to be there in reality. They're actually if you can grasp the truth only beginnings. Now the whole 
pattern of Genesis is consistent with this proposal of this strange declaration in that there was evening and there was morning. I, I, I could show you, we could stay for hours, I could show you it's consistent with that model and that principle which I want you to grasp. But let's take it on because there's, there's a one layer thought that I want to add to what we said. We also talked about, it says, in the beginning, God. And the word God there in the Hebrew is plural. Now that's not because we're talking about there are many gods other than the God that we worship, but I could talk about why the Trinity came into being in the sense of understanding Father, Son and Spirit. But it's actually bigger than that. In the beginning, God says partnership is critical to the miracle of creation. And without partnership, no miracle. So it's about beginnings, but the beginnings happen in connection with partnerships. Now I believe the primary partnership is our partnership back with the Father God, our Creator, that we get the same miracle, because it's in the beginning God created. When the partnership connects with our understanding that it's a life of beginnings, then creation happens in our lives. Some of you need a creation. You need a new creation. You need something to happen that's not yet happening for you. It happens by that same model. We haven't got past the first verse of Genesis, and it's told us how to revolutionize our life. Your life is a story of beginnings that when you connect with the partnership, release creation. That's salvation, forgiveness, release of guilt, healing, everything that we need. We haven't even got past the first verse of Genesis. And what did he create? Heavens and earth. That's pretty big, isn't it? In the beginning, God created that. Heavens and the earth. Not like in the beginning, God created one cell and stood and looked at it for the next million years and thought, that's pretty good. Quite like that cell. I think I'll make another one. Now, I don't know the time scale. I don't know, and none of us know the physical, actual process of this, but heavens and earth, that's pretty big, came out of, in the beginning, God created heavens and earth. May I propose to you that even for some of us who've been around a long time, we have become deficient in our expectation for heavens and earth to be the measure of the creation that comes from our partnership with God in the beginnings that he has given us. So we've stopped looking for the big miracle, the big breakthrough, the big intervention, the big change, the big stroke of luck, the big coincidence. But I want to encourage you, that's where God wants to bring us back to. This, this is the kind of thing that God started this whole business for, so that we would live there and understand that that's where we can live. And I want to encourage you into that tonight, as we just say another few things about what it is we're talking about. So here's the one layer that I wanted to add on to that, because I've really re-emphasized a lot of what we said, because I want to make sure you're hearing it, because it's, 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 it's the key to understanding the rest of Scripture, and how you deal with some of the stuff that we think, you know, when we think God wanted all those people killing and destroying, and I'm honest with you, I'm not sure he did. You know, there's some people, I quite like that word to have come to me at times that destroy them and kill them, cut them you know but the truth is if, if we're not careful we have a schizophrenic God 
Again, some people don't like me to talk about this because the conflict of you can't question God. I'm going to question any God that I don't think is God. And I've told you before, when atheists, and, and I have quite a few atheist friends on, on, online, we have really good dialogue um, and banter. Um, when they say to me, I don't believe in God, I reply to them, I don't believe in the God that you don't believe in either. Because I don't. So this is all a lot about, about reestablishing our confidence, not by ignorance, but our confidence by knowledge and revelation in the authenticity of the God of the Bible, the text of the Bible, how to read the text of the Bible, and to realize we can overlay all of it. God is love, and show that man have done some stupid things. And I said last week, and it got tweeted, no, no disrespect to where it was tweeted from, because it was done very innocently, but somebody picked it up. Somebody had kind of misunderstood and grabbed, because I said, God is not a genocidal maniac, but sometimes you have to work with people who are genocidal maniacs. Didn't mean that God helps genocidal maniacs to be genocidal maniacs. What I mean is God has to work with people like me. Now, I'm only genocidal on a small sense. Spiders, wood lice. Slug, what's slugs, slugs, what's slugs about? What's all that about? I mean, slugs. Flies. I, I, I still believe in demons because flies. But I mean, what's slugs about? What is that? Slimy little, you know, it's like, what's all that about? I mean, what do they do? Where do they go? What's their business? It's like you just see them and like, what? what? I mean, snails really are just posh slugs. That's all snails are. They're just posh slugs with the house. Don't get it. I'm serious. I'm like, what? Yeah, so I'm a bit of a genocidal maniac when it comes... The point I'm making is that when God works with quirky people, quirky stuff happens not because God's quirky, but because the quirky people God's work with does quirky things. And God in his grace and mercy works with us to shape us and change us and help us. The Saul who became the Apostle Paul was persecuting the church in God's name making sure Christians were imprisoned and holding the coat of people while they stoned Christians in God's name to get rid of these Christians who were a, a blight on the face of the planet because they did not understand God correctly. The Apostle Paul was doing that. God had to work with him. Maniac. Absolute maniac. He said, I went round. Real pro I went round. There was nobody more zealous than me. I went round rounding up Christians. And that was... Paul's confession of before he actually had this amazing, isn't it amazing that his encounter was with the light? Let there be light. And suddenly Paul's in the realm of beginnings. God didn't come and say, okay, Paul, here's the deal. You're going to have to suffer and pay for all the stuff you've done. He was immediately launched into a life of beginnings. And then we're not going to get into that, but then this quirky guy who sometimes doesn't make a lot of sense. And you say, oh, Paul does this thing. Listen, Paul sometimes doesn't make a lot of sense. This quirky guy, God works with him. 
And through him influences the world. And he is, his writings are the most used biblical writings of any part of the Bible everywhere in the world. Of the book that incidentally the Bible is still the world's best selling book ever of all time of any genre. The Bible is number one bestseller. So we come from this beginnings into Genesis and our first introduction to God saying anything is when he speaks to emptiness, darkness and chaos. That's the first time we ever get an encounter with God saying anything and what does he speak to? He speaks to emptiness, darkness and chaos. So don't you think Probably the model of God is that he will come to emptiness, darkness and chaos and say something. That that's actually his primary motivation wherever there is darkness, chaos and emptiness to come and say something. If I understand every nut and bolt and atom and subatomic particle and geological phenomenon and theory of quantum physics that are part of the huge complex nature of our universe, does that contribute one iota to my dealing with the emptiness, darkness and chaos so often occurring in our lives? The answer is, it doesn't contribute squat. That's why the Bible's not about that. The Bible's about beginnings that we can partner that creates massive things like heavens and earth but where God speaks to emptiness, darkness and chaos. And what does he say? Sort yourself out. I can't believe this mess you've gotten yourself into. It's so dark and cold in here. No, what does he say? He says, let there be. I propose to you that God has never changed. That not only is he a God of perpetual beginnings, but he's the God who turns up to our darkness, chaos and emptiness and says, let there be. Now, what was his let there be? His let there be's were everything that was necessary to make creation reality change the existing condition to what God desired it would always be. So the first thing he says is, okay, it's dark, let there be light. And as the earth simply responds to the sound of his voice, everything begins to change. I believe the same spirit which hovered over the primeval existence described in the second verse of Genesis, which was carrying within it the realization for what would be and not what was. Because remember, God turns up into something that was not what it would be, it was what it was. Now there's a lesson from Genesis. God turns up in what would be to change it, what was to change it into what, would be, and what could be, and what can be. And that same spirit which hovered over the primeval existence described in the second verse of Genesis, which was carrying within it the realisation for what would be, and not what was, hovers over you and me tonight. I believe the God of creation is real, and speaks to the emptiness, darkness and chaos in and about you, and says, let there be... 
I believe when we respond to the sound of his voice, everything begins to change. The Spirit is hovering. The Creator is speaking. What shall let there be? Because when he says let there be, everything begins to change. Bow your heads with me. What shall let there be? What is it? What is it? In, what's the emptiness and the darkness in, in your soul? What, what's, what's the chaos that's going on? Because the crazy thing is, it seems God is most at home encountering that. He liked to challenge the darkness of the tomb, the hunger of a nation. It's like God thrives on the crisis that he encounters. I believe that God is not put off by where I am, but he is drawn to where I am. When he sees my emptiness, my chaos, my darkness, he doesn't say, I don't want to go there. He immediately says, I cannot help but go there. He is present. He is here. That same spirit that hovered in the beginning hovers over us. And God is speaking over your life. Let there be. Let there be. Into your loneliness, your heartbrokenness. Into your struggle with the addictions and the, the, the conflicts that go on in you. What the Bible calls as well the, the sin of our life. The, the things that take us off the mark. All those things God is, is drawn to. And he's speaking a word into you tonight. So how could the earth respond to what he said I don't flipping know I just know that it did how do we respond so you say I don't know how to respond well your life's where it is because you responded to those negative words that were spoken of you when you were a child you responded when somebody said you'll never become anything you responded when somebody said, you know, you're, 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 you're a drunk, you're a waster, you'll never amount to anything, you'll never be a success. You, you responded to the words that were always putting you down and bringing you into bondage. You responded to that. And our lives tonight are, to a great degree, a representation that we responded to what was said. Well, in the same way, Open your heart tonight and respond to what's being said. Over the condition of your life, the weaknesses, the failings, the sicknesses, the poverties, the, the negative feelings, the insecurities, all that stuff, let there be. Let there be. Let there be confidence. Let there be forgiveness. Let there be release. Let there be deliverance. Let there be healing. Let there be belonging. Let there be recovery. Let there be beginnings. Not just once, but over and over and over again. I just want to invite you to do something. It's our time's about gone. I'd like you just all to stand with me if you would. And I just want to say while we stood, if 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 this is a moment that you're saying, 
I, I need a beginning. And I, in my emptiness, darkness, chaos, that area of my life, I need to let there be. As I pray, I want you to do something. I'd like, just for consideration of people, I'd like every eye closed, if possible. You don't have to obey me, but it would just be nice because I want to give you all the opportunity. If, if, if you want to respond to the voice, I want you, just as we pray right now, to lift both hands in the air. That used to be the sign of surrender. Okay, let me see your hands. Put them up in the air. If you want to respond, you need a new beginning. And we're going to receive tonight what God is saying. God is saying over you, let there be. Let there be. Let there be. And when he speaks, and when creation responds, guess which wins? His word always wins. So we don't have any days of creation where he said, let there be, and he said, well, it was a good effort, but it didn't happen. Every time he said, let there be, what he said, let there be, happened. I believe in a God of miracles. I believe this is the core of the heart of God, and we're going to pray right now. Father, thank you for your word. You're saying over us right now, let there be. Holy Spirit, you are here like the wind, hovering over the primeval stuff in the beginning, and you're saying, let there be, and we are here, candidates for the same creative power to revolutionize these issues of our lives right now. And so I thank you that your word is true. And when you speak, it's power. And by it, the whole world came into being. And we subject ourselves tonight to that word. Thank you, Father, right now that what you have said, let there be into our lives is beginning this moment. Help us to cooperate and partner with the miracle that you are now bringing to accept it, believe it, walk into it, declare it, confess it, and see it become a manifestation manifest reality, just like the creation in Genesis. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen eh? Okay, now I like talking about this stuff, and we're going to continue to say um, I'm always available for questions. I propose one little thought to you that I think is so interesting as we wrestle with this, and then we're definitely going. Um, how many of you aware there's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John? The three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, mostly deal with the functional detail of Jesus' birth, life, and ministry. John's different. John really is more to do with the why of Jesus than the what of Jesus. The other Gospels, you look, they've got all the miracles, you know, the, the miracles and the, the messages. John is more focused on the why of Jesus. So, here's a little thing I put in just, just to reinforce why I say it. How do you think the book of John starts? Why does it start within the beginning? Because it's doing for us in the Greek World New Testament... What Genesis was doing in the ancient world Hebrew, okay? So the two books are doing the same thing, and I could parallel them for you, but I just thought you'd be interested to know that, that the New Testament gospel that talks about new creation and deals with new birth starts in exactly the same way as the book of Genesis. Why? Because it's about beginnings, it's about partnerships, it's about creation, it's about new heavens and new earths, and it's about God speaking into our life, let there be. So I hope you've received it tonight and walk in it. May God bless us as we go in Jesus' name. Amen.
And the rugby will have started if that's got any spiritual context at all. I don't know. But God's told me that England will win and he's on because they're fighting a just cause against now.